Hey, hey, welcome back everyone to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Morcus, and today I sit down with Ajit Nawalka. Ajit is the co-founder of Mind Valley Teach, Evercoach, and Global Grit Institute, as well as the author of Live Big, A Guide to Passion, Practicality, and Purpose. In today's conversation, we discuss how Ajit got a start, what led him to working with Mind Valley as an intern, and how he worked his way up the ranks to eventually become the CEO of Mind Valley. My big takeaway from today's conversation is just the way Ajit actually thinks about problems, how he perceives the problem, how he thinks through it, how he organizes the problem in his mind or on paper, and writes out the questions for discernment to figure out the proper path forward. Now, that might feel or sound very theoretical, but I promise in today's conversation we'll break that down and you should be left with a way to apply this to your own life in whatever critical decision-making capacity you need it. So that's definitely my big takeaway, and I think there's a lot of other nuggets of wisdom and just great things that Ajit shares with us, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. So without further ado, let's get to the conversation. So Ajit, the way I want to kick things off is give us some context of how you got to where you are today with Evercoach. We'll talk about your book, Live Big, here in just a minute, but I'm kind of curious, how did you get into the space in the first place? So my story starts in a small town in Jaipur called, uh, called Jaipur in India, which is a town that I grew up in and I was born in and I grew up in. So I come from India and I grew up in a house of about 23 other people. Uh, this was basically me, my cousin, my parents' cousins, our extended family all lived together. And that's, that's really where I grew up. And like you can imagine when you are growing up with 23 other people, it does, it, it, you don't really have a lot of abundance of space and a lot of abundance of wealth and so forth. And that was really the reason why we were together living with 20 other people. And, and that kind of drove me or really the initial drive for me to really be able to create something in a life that was full of abundance and wealth and, and space, more, more, most importantly of them all. And as I was going through that journey, as I was creating things to be able to get that in my life, I was on track to be an engineer, like Every Indian kid is expected to be an engineer, a doctor, or an accountant. I was expected to be an engineer in that context. And as I was preparing for it, I realized that even if I did qualify for any of the exams, I would probably become a really bad engineer because neither did I love it, neither did I find any joy in doing it. It wasn't that I was like good at it, like, you know, uh, it was none of those things. And, and it made me realize that there was no point me doing this because even if I did make some money doing it. I would just be a miserable person doing that particular job. And it was to my parents' credit that they were generous and nice and kind enough to not force me into it and give me that space to be able to say, hey, we are willing to have you experiment even if we can't really afford for you to experiment. Go ahead and experiment. We'll support your journey as far as we can. And in that process... I started to experiment, I started to travel a little bit. I, I found an organization called ISEC at that time, which is a student organization which allows kids to kind of meet different people from different, different parts of the world. It's a, it's, it's a great student body. And that kind of exposed me to the possibilities that lie around the world, a possibility of what people do and how they do different things. And it was really exciting times and exposed me to a whole new world. And as I was experiencing this new world, I, I finished my work with this voluntary organization because it was a voluntary organization that ISAC is. And, and in that process, I stumbled into a media company 
which exposed me to the world of internet, not as a consumer, but as a media company, as somebody who actually operates in that world and say, hey, this could be used as a channel to create expansive uh, material and could reach a lot more people. And that just caught my fascination. I just got so excited about the possibilities of the internet. This is like a decade ago. So this was new in India still. We were trying, just catching up to the rest of the world and trying to get off that dial-up internet where you had to connect your phone to get internet. So we're still pretty new to that world and, and we're just chasing and trying to get to better internet. And, and that, that just blew my mind, exposed my world. And while my work with that organization, one of my ex-employees of that organization, I kind of reached out to them because they were living in Malaysia and I wanted to go somewhere else and really figure out how to do this internet thing. And in that approach, I reached out to this particular person and they kind of said, hey, Ajit, there is this little company that is running out of this house, but they're like 10 employees and this company, but is run by ex-Isakers, which is why I was excited about it as well. Isakers are people that, of the organization that I was also a part of. And they're a really fun company, really young people. Maybe you want to check it out. So I Googled the company and I check it out. And that company happened to be Mindvalley. Mindvalley is one of the leading personal transformations companies today. But at the time when I joined the company, it was a 10-person small enterprise working out of a bungalow. Uh, basically. <laughs> and and that's where I joined the company. And over the past next ten, six, seven, eight years, I would get really introduced to the works of a lot of personal development authors, a lot of coaches, a lot of trainers. And I would facilitate a lot of their businesses. I would actually help grow a lot of their brands and businesses in the process of growing Mindvalley. And, and that would really expose me to the world of coaching. And that it most importantly, it will change my life. Because my life is, is an effect of all the coaches and trainers that have showed up in my life and have shown me the possibilities that lie ahead of me, that have trained me to be able to become something better than the kid that was living with 23 other people trying to figure out and trying to like really make ends meet in a way. So trainers, coaches, have I've been very grateful to have them in my life. They have been paramount to the type of results that I've been able to drive for myself in my life. And so as I was going through my journey and I became from an intern, I, I, I was leading my, my valley at a point. And as I was leading the company, something else happened. You know, sometimes what happens is when we chase a vision too hard or a goal too hard and we have our blinders on, we have our blinders on. That means that we just only look at the goal and forget about everything else right? My blinders were on. And as much as it gave me tremendous amount of momentum and I was doing purposeful job and I was in a career that was fascinating and exciting, the unfortunate thing that had happened was I built this wonderful organization. I built this wonderful career, but I sacrificed my life in the process. I sacrificed a lot of my friendships in the process, a lot of my relationships in the process. And it, it really, really, uh, and my health also in that process. And it really broke me down in, in many different ways. And, and that kind of got me to say and ask a different question is, is this what entrepreneurship is all about? Is this what business is all about? Is business all about saying, sacrifice everything to get a little something? Is, is entrepreneurship all about becoming a martyr to be able to fulfill your passion and your purpose? Are those really true statements? Or And then, more importantly, at that time especially, not only are these true statements, are these true statements for me? Do I believe this is what I need to be and who I need to be and how I need to show up? And that would get me to go on a journey 
And a part of that journey was creation of Evercoach. A part of that creation to be able to help me discover and refine and reconsider as to what I want to create out in the world was to be able to find Evercoach as a company. And it didn't stop there. I started another company called Global Red Institute, where we help entrepreneurs and trainers to be able to live big as well. And, and that's really how I got here. That's where I got to live big. That's where I got to have a coach where it is. That's where I got to Global Institute where it is. And so give me some context in terms of timeline. So the book is coming out now, 2000, end of 2018. You, we, when did you found uh, Evercoach? So people have some context to this, I think, in the timeline. 2015. 2015, okay. And so in that time, what was your, is, so it's, it's successful enough to still exist, obviously. So give us an idea of like what you've done to kind of grow that piece of it and how that's influenced the writing of this book. So as I was working on, so 2015 is its first time in about July 2015 is when I finally stepped out as being the CEO of Valley. Because, I mean, as you, if you are leading the company, you know, you, you need a little bit of time to actually be able to transition out of the company. So it took me a little while to be able to do that. And in July 2015 is when I started to focus and look at Evercoach. Now, I had started to look at the idea before that, but I wasn't, re- I wasn't really pursuing the idea at that time. So at that time, when, once I stepped out and I said, okay, so this is the project that I would really like to pursue. This is the project that I would really like to move forward with. I, I went ahead and I started building out products that I thought were really useful for coaches and trainers and educators out in the world. Now, some of these products came from research because we did start with a little bit of research. I always like to start with a little bit of research. But a lot of these also came from my own need of really discovering what coaching is like. You see, I didn't believe I can believe I can build a coaching business if I wasn't a coach myself. I couldn't bring build a consulting training business if I had no idea how to build one for myself. So as I was building Evercoach, I also started building a coaching practice of my own just to see how that goes. How does an enrollment conversation really feel like? How does prospecting really feel like? How does running an ad really feel like? So on and so forth. And as I was building this whole enterprise where I was honestly... One of the key things for me always about business is that a business cannot be a copy of another business. It shouldn't look same to anything else. It shouldn't be same to anything else. A business is created to move the line, move the needle a little bit more. And if you want to move the needle, you can't be the same as blank. You want to be different. You want to be unique to, in, in our reality, especially as coaches, trainers, you could be as unique as you yourself because you yourself is a unique person. So it's easier to be unique because you just have to embody more of you in your business. It's a little bit hard when the brand is an outside technical product or something like that. But, but other than that, it's a, it's a little bit easier because it's more your reflection of your personality. So I said, what is it that is, that is unique to this industry that unfortunately nobody has really tapped into? And I realized that one of the big things that, which was fundamental to my growth, and I knew will be fundamental to growth to any coach, would be what I call the disjointed learning theory. I only started talking about it recently, but I've always been a proponent of disjointed learning theory. Disjointed learning theory is simply a theory that I've developed for my own understanding, is that if you are learning from the same type of people, from the same type of people on the same type of knowledge, you tend to create replicas of what you're learning. And the challenge with that is A, it's not you, B, it's not unique, and C, it's not even the full honest truth about the world. Because if you're learning from the same set of values, you only know those set of values. It's almost like you're in a sounding board that is just reflecting and echoing exactly what you say. 
And that's just not good practice to create progress. It only makes you stagnant to the growth that is possible by being an echo chamber for yourself. So I say, if you want to really grow, you need to learn from as there were sources, sometimes contradictory, uh, contradictory to each other, but they are diverse enough for you to be able to intellectually then quantify and go, is this a sensible idea or not? Is this a sensible principle or system or not? And then to be able to say, okay, this is what the final outcome will look like. So that's what disjointed learning theory is. And that's really the fundamental of creating every coach where we said, there is too many ideas out there in the world and we need to find the best of them and bring it to one platform so people can easily access it. And that's really got every coach to get started and got every coach to get going as quickly as it, does, as it did. So let me ask you a question about this disjointed learning theory because I think it's kind of interesting because I agree it's we naturally will gravitate towards that echo chamber and I think social media compounds that and puts it on like steroids. And so the, the negative impact is, is so much greater potentially, although it's one of those invisible downsides, right? So I'm really curious, mm-hmm. how did you like organize it then? Like I kind of understand it theoretically, you know, but how did you uh, approach both Evercoach and again, and, and kind of the new book here with this disjointed learning theory, like who were you talking to or what questions were you asking or what, what groups were you trying to get involved with to have different, like maybe to see different approaches or to experience other people's values? Like what was that like, practically speaking for you? So firstly, it always starts with the outcome, or at least for me, it always starts with the outcome that I want to create, right? So for example, let's talk about the book, how did live big come into existence? I knew that I wanted to create a life that was an understanding of living from my context and my perspective. Now, it is different for different people. But from my perspective, live big is about choice. It's about, or living big is about choice, which is basically being able to say, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. This is when I want to do it. And you get to decide. And it absolutely does not impact anything in your life in the sense of like negatively. It is only positive momentum. And you get to have that choice. And that choice is what living big is for me, right? The choice to freedom, the choice to do something or not do something, the choice to do a product, not to do a product. And so that was the end goal that I was going for. I was going for, I want to have a, a, a life full of choices where I'm not only tied to my purpose alone in context of words, but work, but also in context of my life. What's the purpose of my life? How do I live fully? How do I get to spend time with my family, my friends? How do I take holidays? How do I invest time in my health? How, how do I do those different things that I want to do? And that kind of became the outcome that I was going for. Now, when you know what the outcome you're going for, you start to look backwards or, or you step back and you say, okay, to be able to create that life, what do I need? Right? So some of the things that came up was, all right, if I want to live that life, I need to firstly know what are my values, for example. Right? What do I even stand for? What do I mean when I would have the choice? What would I do with that choice? Right? Is there, are there a few words that can tell me what this choice would look like? How would I know I'm living in a place of choice? Right? So, so that became a measure. So be, okay, okay, how do I find that? Right? Second became, all right, so if it was choice, what are the different areas of life where I would like this choice or what are the areas where people would like to have this choice? So started as a project for just myself, but it became and evolved into a project that is valuable to everyone now. But when it started, it was more about asking these questions and saying, what does it doesn't mean? What does it actually involve? What does it not involve? And then you go one step further back and you go, okay, what would be the challenges that will stop from having these things happen? Right. So what would be the challenge for you not living a healthy life? What would be the challenge for you not being able to grow your business? 
What would be the challenge blank, right? And then you write down those challenges and then you find strategies to be able to solve those challenges. And that's kind of like the, the approach that I take. It's, it's almost like you go one step back and one step back and one step back, coming to the solution or the challenge that you will end up solving, creating a whole new life for you as a, as a, as a counter effect to every activity and every answer that you find. And that's really how LiveBig was developed. Evercoach was the same. It was developed in the same way. What are the, some of the challenges that people face? How do we solve these challenges? What is the ultimate outcome that a coach really wants to create? What are some of the things that they need to create their ultimate outcome? What are the challenges that they face? How can we solve those challenges? The framework's the same. Framework is one step at a time. And hopefully, as you change the dialogue as the, as the challenge solution or the place where you are at, you would move a little bit further in your journey. And as you keep moving further, you experience new challenges and then you solve those challenges and then you go to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage, creating the life that you want to create. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm, I'm specifically curious actually to kind of hone in on one, one aspect of that, which is the research piece. Obviously, as you're, you're thinking through this, it's like a, it's a mind exercise for sure. It's definitely like a, a creative exercise here to think through this, which I think is very helpful. And some of the questions you asked were useful. I think somebody could take those and actually start asking them those questions right now, which is really, I, I love that. When you started to do that research though, and you start asking questions like, well, what are these challenges? How can we solve them, et cetera? I'm curious, did you, did you do anything that was like customer focused or, and maybe this is pre-customer because it's just at this outside of a business. So I guess practically speaking for an entrepreneur, freelancer, anybody who's maybe wants to apply this in their business, how might they go about like actually answering that questions? Because they might have an intuition or a thought, well, here's how I'd solve it. But is that, is that the reality on the ground? So I'm just curious what you did from a customer research standpoint to ensure like, yeah, your answers marry up with what people actually want, not just what you want. So there's two parts to this answer. Firstly, there is no, there's informed intuition and then there's intuition, right? And informed intuition, and which is what I prefer, is intuition that is informed by relevant data, is informed by enough insight or information for you to be actually be able to have an intuitive idea that, that makes sense, right? So I believe in informed intuition, which basically means that you would feed your mind with so much data and information that eventually your mind puts it together, your brain puts it together and gives your subconscious puts it together and gives it to your conscious mind to find the direction that you want to go to. You feel like it's an epiphany, but it's not really an epiphany. It's actually a connected dot. You just don't see it because you're not supposed to. You have a bigger processing unit that does the putting the dots together part of it. Now, apart from that, it's also important when you're creating any business is that you can't be only one side focus. Uh, by that, I mean, like, there is no customer that can tell you the all solution. Like, there is no customer. There is no one customer that can tell you this is all that we need. There is no customer who has all of the insight. They have their insight. And then, then you have to find as many insights as possible. So the first step to creating a great product, if, if possible, is to get as much insights as possible. And it doesn't have to be thousands of them. It could be a couple of them. Like it could be 20 of them, 40 of them. And that's enough data set for you to be able to find a pattern. I look for patterns. I go, okay, what is it that people are constantly looking for? What is it that people are constantly seeking out? What are the consistent challenges that they don't say? that they are experiencing, but you can see in their language that they experience, right? For example, right now, there is a trend of overworked entrepreneur. Like entrepreneurs are working way too hard than they, than they were supposed to be working or they intended to work. 
And, the, and you don't see that as an outwardly thing. You can't go out on the street and ask an entrepreneur. They don't really communicate that. They mostly ask the question of how do I grow my business? Nobody asks, why am I overworking? Why am I working 12 hours a day? Very few would be aware enough to be able to ask that question. But that's the trend that if you look at the language, you will be able to spot that right now, uh, entrepreneurs, because of the constant comparison, the constant comparison with the outside world and the constant comparison of them to their goals, they are in a state where they feel like they're not reaching enough goals. And so they are overworking themselves, leading themselves to tendencies of burnout. And with those tendencies, they are leading themselves into a place where they may be able to create those businesses, but might not be able to have that emotional success or emotional satisfaction from it. They will have financial satisfaction, undoubtedly, but they will not have the emotional satisfaction of it, or it seems like that they might fail at that. Now, that's a pattern that you see in language. That's not a pattern that will be obvious, that won't be communicated directly by an entrepreneur. But if you're listening to patterns, you'll be able to spot that as a pattern. So what is the best product that you can create if you are looking at a pattern like that because you've taken enough data sets to go, okay, can I somehow solve the problem that they really want to solve, which is growth of their business because that's what they will communicate while creating the emotional balance in their life. Would they appreciate that, right? So that, that informs your insight to say, hey, that's a product that is needed, right? And they don't, they don't want to, it's not necessarily that they want to work less, and that's one thing that, that you kind of want to be aware of. They just want more personal time, right? So it's not that they are, they are, they're, not, they're not scared of the work. That's not what an entrepreneur is scared of. What they want is, can I spend some time with my kids as well? And it sounds like maybe behind that one too is also, can I do that without everything falling apart or falling behind or losing out on these opportunities? Yeah, like my business grows at the same time. Exactly. Like they want to grow the business. They want to have it all. And it's totally possible. It's just a reprogramming of a understanding of how really business works and be really how does the life work along with business. It is possible to have it all. But that's the that's the dialogue that they would not consciously have, but unconsciously prefer to have that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And when you say it, it requires... A, an understanding or re-understanding maybe of uh, business and how business works or how it could work. Do you cover this topic in the book? And I'm really curious, what are your fundamentals like when it comes to this for, for entrepreneurs, business owners to think about that they, they need to get right before they can kind of like pass go and collect $200? So I, I wouldn't say that anything is that extreme. Businesses are different, right? And so there is no, you must do this. And without this, you'll be an absolute failure. I don't believe in that. We are all human beings. We're all smart individuals, especially entrepreneurs are brave and smart at the same time. Now, what I do cover in the book is an invitation to be able to live a big life, which means a life of choice. It means, yes, you can grow your business and be able to spend time with your family and be able to take care of your health and be able to spend time with your friends and be able to binge watch Netflix series if you want to. And that is, that is possible by reframing the way you look at business and reframing the way you operate in and on in your business. And that will allow you to be able to have that kind of success. And it's, uh, we do discuss that in the book, uh, but the book is written slightly different than most business books because I don't, I personally believe entrepreneurs are really smart, competent individuals. And what really requires them to be able to create a new reality for themselves is a shift in their insights or a shift in their perspective, if I may. 
if they can look at the same problem in a different way, usually they will come up with the action steps to be able to implement it. So what I offer in Live Big is through the chapters of the book is insights, is perspectives. More than, here you go, step one, two, three, four, five, six, because I believe that's the easy stuff. That's the stuff that an entrepreneur will figure it out anyways. What if I can do for them is if I can offer them a different lens is what will change the game. Now, while I am doing that in the book, what I also understand is some entrepreneurs might want a little extra help, might need an extra little nudge. And so that is why we offer a free program on the back of the book, which everybody who gets the book gets a special link. And in that, on that link, you get to experience that program freely and easily. So you can go ahead and, and enjoy that program if you want the step-by-step thing. So let me ask you this. A couple things that I wanted to talk about in regards to the book was this this matrix of practicality. Mm-hmm. So you, you describe this as a three-part matrix that is like the cornerstone of successful companies. So mm-hmm. walk us through this matrix of practicality. So you would see that a lot of our dialogues right now, especially for newer entrepreneurs, uh, revolve around follow your passion and follow your purpose. And they're important pieces. They're very important pieces. You want to know your passion, but you want to be aware that passions change at all time. You just have to look for the passion that is uh, a consistent nag, if I may, and is consistently in your mind is the passion that you want to pursue and can also have a business around it. That's the passion that you pursue, but you will have many passions and you, you can be comfortable with that. And you, you do want to have one purpose because that's a good guiding light to have for you to keep moving forward. But again, to know that it's not an end-all purpose that you're looking for. It's a guiding light that you're looking for. It's a direction that you want to head towards. And then usually once the passion purpose dialogue comes in, most of the entrepreneurs, for some reason today's time, don't want to consider practicality of any business that is going out in the world. Or they, they feel like, oh, but I'm passionate about it. I should be able to get this going. And that's just not how business works. Business has the element of practicality. And by practicality, it means you need to have a phenomenal product. If the product's not good, it's going to go to hell. You need great people to work with you. And not just people that are your friends and then you interact with them, but people who are actually your employees, people who actually work with you and processes that allow you to be able to create the business that you want to create. Now, what happens usually is people get immediately turned off or a lot of entrepreneurs get very turned off when you talk about these three things. The product, maybe not so much. Product, still people go, okay, I am excited about the product but they don't necessarily put enough time into creating a product. Like I just told you, to create a product like Evercoast or Global Green Institute or LiveBake, the book, there's a lot of research that goes into creating a good quality product, something that would stick, that can stand on its own feet and doesn't need you to back it up with marketing. Not saying you won't do marketing because you must. You don't want to be the best kept secret, but at the same point in time, the product's solid enough that it can have its own footing is important, and at least we think about it, but I don't think we put enough time into creating something that's solid and beautiful. Second is uh, is people, which is one of the big fears that, that entrepreneurs have, especially the ones who have never run a business before, because they feel like, oh, if I hire people, I'll become like a corporation. That's just not true. That was the old times. Now people are, are willing to align themselves to companies that have a purpose, that have a meaning towards what they do, people want to do meaningful work. So you can find people that you actually can have a good time building your company. You don't have to think about them as slaves that work for you. You have to think about it from the perspective of saying, hey, these are collaborators, these are co-owners, co-creators 
who are creating this amazing adventure that I'm creating for myself and for the world. And if you approach it that way, they can become your greatest allies and people who will hold you when you are trying to build your company because it is not easy. It takes effort. It takes time. And so you want collaborators which would be willing to support you in that, in that journey processes, which so many of us hate. And here's the reason why somebody hates a process. You hate a process because you didn't build it. You, hate, you never hate a process that you build. Nobody hates the way they brush their teeth. Nobody hates the way they make like their latte. Nobody hates the way how they like their whatever food they like to eat. They love that way of that. It's because they build that process. They know what they like. People think process is some of this thing that people who are practical and who have this knack of creating process needs to have. No, everybody has a process. Every creative person has a process. Every non-creative person has a process. Everybody, every coach has a process. Every trainer has a process. We just choose to ignore it and not document it and not say, hey, this is the process. I don't want to think about it again. We like to just create it from ground up because we are creative people. But having to start every single time from ground up could be one of the greatest, greatest disservices you can do to your products. It's one of the greatest disservices you can do to your business because you're always as if you're starting now. And always starting from the start is never a good idea. I feel like that is actually uh, where a lot of entrepreneurs and creatives get stuck on the hamster wheel is just on that alone, which is, and, and it's funny because I don't necessarily look at it and view it as a uh, processes problem per se, but more of once you've also, once you've done something, it's like stick with it and then grow that thing or improve that thing and make that better. I know I, I sometimes fall into that category of shiny penny syndrome. I think a lot of us do, especially if like we're really like, you know, aggressive entrepreneurs, marketers, salespeople. It's like, there's always so many opportunities. And I feel like that can be dangerous. It can be a lot of great opportunity, but if you keep doing something new, you don't have the chance to actually, well, assist, build a system around it, which is what the SOPs, the processes you're talking about are so critical and so important. So do you run into that? Like when you guys, when you're working with people and see that, like, and how do you keep somebody or, or at least remind somebody to keep them on track to, to actually keep building this thing that they've done? Like if they got out of first iteration, how do you keep them on track to keep building that thing or whether they should pivot to something else? So usually if you've gotten the result with the client and you've gotten results consistently, it shouldn't be that hard for you to stay on track. The only reason you won't stay on track is because you're doing something that you don't enjoy as much or you're not liking the part of building a business, which is fine because sometimes people don't want to build a business. They think they want to build a business, but what they really want to do is make some money. And that's, that's a little bit of a different thing. If you don't want to build a business, that's fine. Because at that point, you will tend to change things around and that's fine. But if you want to build a business, if you want to build an enterprise and if that's the decision you want to make, you want to find, usually you don't want to do things again and again. You want to do things one time and not have to deal with it again. That's just the approach to creating enterprise. Now, if I had somebody who was struggling between really trying to figure out how to go from a stage of wanting to just make money to building an enterprise, the invitation is mostly to be able to say, hey, listen, if you are in a place right now where you're focused mostly on making money and you want to go to an enterprise level, get somebody who goes along with you in that journey. Because you, when you're a solopreneur, it's harder to keep track. But if you have friends and partners and, and coaches that can support you in that journey, everything becomes easier. So one of the quick tricks that I can give is to have that. Or if you're really good at following schedule, make a schedule. 
that's the way to actually get yourself to stay on track is to have a schedule because you won't beat the schedule. If you are that kind of person though, if you're not that kind of person, get a coach. Yep. I agree. It's like having that accountability is I found it extremely useful for myself and a lot of the people that work with me. It's the same deal. It's actually, it's something about the forcing function of having to meet with somebody, whether it's weekly or otherwise, and you have to be on that call and you have to give an update. It's, it's amazing. And I know I wouldn't be able to do just the scheduling thing uh, personally. And I, I don't know if that's, I think some people are, are just that yeah, coach. organized, right. I are just that organized, but I don't, I, I think probably maybe the majority of people would are probably not like that. It's really hard to get yourself to do something. It's a, it's a tough thing to do, but yeah, if you do have a coach that can check in on you, I find that that can produce remarkable results. And I, I do really uh, love it. Like I love working with a coach. I like the experience of working with my students as a coach. Like I think the, it's kind of incredible because I've had people come and tell me, well, it's not, it's not that you said anything new this time, for instance, but it was like the way we did it, the way we worked through it. And just like doing the steps and taking the time with it, it, it all, it, it, there, you know, blow up success because of that. And I think you can't replicate that necessarily. You can't replicate that with just like a, you know, a DIY course, even though courses are great. And I, I love educational courses, but I think the coaches are, are the way to go. And obviously that's what you guys built this around. So you had to build a, a model though, that could scale as well. So my question, my next question for you is, how do you actually take something like this and then scale it? So those are the three things that it sounded like were foundational. And I guess you just kind of keep improving each one of these three things. But is there anything else to think about in terms of scale? And specifically, I, I think I'm asking this question in the context of, you mentioned like some people just want to make money versus build a business. I, I, mm. I get that feeling too when I have interactions with people. And so mm. for those who are want to keep it kind of a small organization? Are they really, are they the kind of people that just want money or, or is there something to be said for that? And where do we, how do we approach this idea of scaling? Like, is that something we should look at and say, this must be something that can scale to X before we move forward with it? Or do you feel like there's value in saying, well, this is a good path worth going down, even if, you know, there's a, a cap to how much you could scale it, for instance? It really depends on the entrepreneur. Entrepreneur is the centerpiece of the business. And if you are somebody who wants to scale the company, then go ahead, scale the company. But if you're somebody who says, hey, listen, I don't care for the scale. I care more for having this as a boutique enterprise, which takes care of a certain number of people. And I just want to stay in that those tranches. That's absolutely fine. There is no, this is the way or that is the way. That's, it's more a decision of the entrepreneur because the product can always evolve. So for example, let's take a hypothetical example. Let's say somebody was a coach. And you wanted to help people to live a healthy lifestyle. Let's say you're a health coach. I'm giving a hypothetical example, right? Theoretically, as you start, you are something that is not scalable because you're a health coach, which means you only have X number of hours in a day that you can coach someone. And so at a point, you will cap out the number of hours. You might be able to do groups, but again, you will cap out the groups as well because the number of hours in a day is limited. So as a health coach, you have certain limitation and you might feel like, well, that's where I will cap out. But is that really? If you really want to go tomorrow, hey, listen, I am a health coach, but I would love to scale, you can always switch the product instead of you having to interact with your clients at all times. You could be meeting, meeting them virtually and you could be having a thousand people meeting you virtually at any given time or 5,000 or 10,000 people. Now you have infinite scale. It's the same product. It's the same philosophy. It's the same approach. It's even the same trainer. But now you have 5, 10, 20,000 people watching you at the same time in a virtual reality or in a virtual space. Now you have to scale off the product versus 
only li being limited to saying, oh, I can't really scale this. Products are tweakable once your philosophy is set in stone, once the ability of the product is, is something that's replicable. The thing that you need with your products is can you get almost predictably similar, if not exactly the same results every single time that the product is used. And that's really what creates the scalability of it. But you need that irrespective. You need that irrespective even if you're a small business or a big business because else you will be reinventing the wheel every single time. The closer you can get to predictability, again, it doesn't, it never be exactly the same, but similar. If you can get similar results, as similar as possible, the better it is and easier it is for you to scale the company. But scaling has a lot to do with marketing and process and people, or as much to do with marketing, process, and people than it is to do with the product. Scaling a company is a very different beast than starting a company. A lot of entrepreneurs are great at starting a company, but are not that great at scaling a company. Because what they are great at, they're quick starts. They can start the company and they can start keep get the ball going. But then the moment it hits a little bit of a turf, they start getting a little bit more revenue. They start to get complacent because it's not the same amount of quick start things that they're there. And say so, they tend to destroy their business in that flow. Right? They tend to burn it down by simply doing something completely different or something obscure that doesn't really fit their business at all. Right, and and you're laughing because I'm sure you're like going, oh, I know a ton of people like that. All right, and but that's that's basically because they don't want to build a company, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just what their desire is, their quick start. But if let's say if somebody was a quick start and also wanted to build a company, you find partners in that scenario. You find people that you can hire, and you let them do their job instead of getting in the, in their way. You go and you go, okay, I'll bring you on, and I'll let you lead this because I know you will scale this. That's great, man. I love that distinction too. And yes, I was laughing because I was thinking to myself like, yep, I've, I've seen those, those individuals. I've had great conversations with them too. And some people are honest and actually recognize that about themselves. Like I'm ready to get kind of get rid of this business now. It's like, I'm, that's not what I'm, I like the starting piece. And others are like, man, I would rather not do anything that includes like getting started, but just like kind of move into something. So I think it's a good distinction. My question on this one is if you find that you yourself, you kind of answered it for the other side. Like if you're somebody who, who can scale something, you know, find somebody who's like quick start, maybe work together. If you're a quick start kind of person and you're not sure if you want to build a business, but you're able to get things started, is there any, like, should there be additional thought placed on partnership or like teaming up with somebody at that point? What are your thoughts on that? Like, how, how would you navigate that? So I, I have an assessment that I give to my, uh, my clients when they start working with me, it's called the founder CEO assessment. And the point of that assessment is to really find if you have a founder mentality, which means you're a quick start, or you have a CEO mentality. And it's more like tendencies because all of us can do all the abilities of a CEO and a founder, but what is your tendency? What do you prefer to be? What shoes do you prefer to wear? And based on those, if you find a better match for you, if you want to build an enterprise, that is, what happens is it creates so much more flow because you both know what's your lane and you both recognize what are your lanes and you appreciate them too, which allows you to be able to create the enterprise of the size that you want to create. So it's not, it is highly recommended in my opinion that if you can find the right business partners, find them. The challenge is always to be able to find a good business partner uh, because you, there's a lot of trust that you have to give into this. You have to be able to mend your ego a little bit. You need, you, you need to be able to say, 
yeses and noes really effectively. You need to have really good boundaries. So it does, it's a whole, whole different conversation that we can have around just the CEO founder dichotomy or, or the tendencies and, and going into that and really understanding how to bring that together. But if you can, if you can, especially if you're a quick start or if you're a CEO tendency, it is great to have the other side because that is the perfect combo. I love it. Well, Ajit, I just want to say it was great to have this conversation with you. I wanted to see where can people reach out to find you, connect with you, check out this new book of yours and uh, otherwise, you know, get in touch. Just go to livebigthebook.com, L-I-V-E-B-I-G-T-H-E-B-O-O-K, livebigthebook.com. It'll give you all the options of different platforms that is available at. You can bulk order if you want. You can go on Amazon and, and get a single book and get some books for your friends. Uh, once you get the book, there is also on the same website, there's ability to connect with me directly using any of my social media handles, or as you get the book, you also get a free program and we interact a lot within the program and in the community for the program. So happy to have you there and have a discussion there. So just go get the book and, uh, and I'll see you in that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on in the trenches. Really appreciate this conversation and we'll encourage everybody to go check it out. So thank you, Ajit. Absolutely. Thank you very much, man. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please do me a favor and go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes. That's T-O-M-M-O-R-K-E-S dot com slash iTunes and leave a rating and review for In the Trenches. Not only do I read and appreciate every review, but it helps spread the word of this podcast and allows me to continue to get on great guests. So thank you for your support and I'll catch you on the next broadcast of In the Trenches.